We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everyone? This is Adam Mades from DNVR, excited to talk to you about American financing. Everyday bills are high, and everything is still very expensive, which is why, if you own a home, I want you to call our friends at American Financing. Interest rates are lower than they've been in a long time. They're saving their customers, on average, $854 a month by tapping into their home's equity and wiping out high-interest credit card debt. Their salary-based mortgage consultants are in it for you. Their job is to save you money. Call American Financing and tell them DNVR sent you today, and you may be able to delay two mortgage payments. That's 303-695-7000, 303-695-7000, or go to AmericanFinancing.net slash DNVR. Welcome in Wednesday afternoon. Here we go. Megan, we are back at another Wednesday edition of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Jesse Montano, Megan Angley, Yaya running the board for us today. Uh... We're getting into the we're getting into the off season. We, we are going to go with a Q and A for for the third segment today. We reached out for some questions, and as always, you guys responded in droves. But we got plenty else to get into. Megan, first of all, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are Good. you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. I uh, I got my patio put back together. We uh, oh, power nice. washed it and all that stuff. So for like two weeks, just all of our stuff was just like piled into you know a certain corner of it. And I got it put back together yesterday. Sat outside, enjoyed it, and so that's excellent. I'm feeling I'm feeling very um, yeah, put together because my backyard isn't destroyed. Yeah, was that after a lot of that flooding, hail, tornado? Yeah. Well, so just this this winter, between the snow and the you know the the ice and everything and the rain, it had just gotten so beat up that we decided we needed to yeah. get out the power washer, get everything cleaned off, all that stuff. Um, and then we had it, well, I, I didn't get it fully done right away because of all the rain and all yeah. that stuff. So we finally had those nice couple days, you know, back to back last week where we got it fully knocked out and now we're get, we, we were put back together. So my answer is I feel put back together. That's awesome. Just like the furniture, just like the furniture, uh, <clears throat> Megan, some, some significant news. Was it officially yesterday, I believe? Uh, Patrice Bergeron announces his retirement from the NHL. This was something that was on everybody's radar for the last couple of seasons. Uh, if he was going to play again or not, he does decide to hang them up. Uh, I, I mean, such a funny, like, like sneaky all-time great. You know, where, I mean, like when you, when you just list off like, oh, these are some of the greatest players of all time. I don't think Patrice Bergeron necessarily comes to a lot of people's mind, uh, but he absolutely should for the way he played the game. 
427 goals, 1,040 points, six Selkie Trophy wins, including 12 straight finalist nominations, 14 consecutive years where he was a top five finisher for the Selkie Trophy, and of course, uh, one-time Stanley Cup champion. Um, I, I mean, just an unbelievable career. It's everything about not only his approach to the game, but how he carried himself off ice, the class and professionalism that I think he added to the culture of hockey. I think there are a lot of players who admired him for this quality, sought to be more like him because of it, and had a big influence on younger players for this reason. And it's why I'm really sad to hear Mm -hmm. the news because I've always felt the league is better with a player like Bergeron in it. And I am going to miss what he brought to the game as well, though. Mm -hmm. It's a funny thing to talk about the Selkie Trophy because that's an award that a lot of players just probably counted themselves out of the running year by year because a person like Patrice Bergeron and the Ryan O'Reilly's of the world, as long as they're still in the league, that's just not going to be your trophy. And the two-way game that he played, Mm -hmm. I think, has become a necessity of today's forward. Mm -hmm. You have to play this way, especially if you're going to be... um, a player that is counted on not only for leadership abilities, but utilized in every situation on the ice. And that's what Bergeron was to the Bruins. I think that it's it's hard to see a franchise player like that mm-hmm. hang up the skates. There's a lot of NHLers who refer to him as the perfect player because of how good he was in his own end. But again, more than a thousand points in his career. You mentioned Ryan O'Reilly there. Uh, you know, with Patrice Bergeron, and what's so funny is as, as elite of a defensive forward as, as Ryan O'Reilly has been in his career, it is the consistency of Patrice Bergeron that is really the, 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 the thing for him that just kind of takes it over the top. I mean, you look at his <clears throat> analytical and, and pure, just pure statistic numbers from 10 years ago relative to what they were this last year. And I mean, he, he got better uh, as his career aged. And, and again, you pointed out the leadership qualities that is one of the things about him is he was such or he is such a good leader off the ice as well you know as well as in game situations things like that but really commanded that uh, Boston locker room and was a huge part of the reason why they were so relevant for I mean they won the Stanley Cup in 2011 and last season they broke the NHL wins record for the regular season. And so much of that has run through Patrice Bergeron. 100%. I think that's what makes it tough, too, is their window was largely because of Bergeron mm-hmm. being there in this last season. And they have a huge problem now down the totally. middle in Boston. And this isn't to take away from Bergeron for a second. No, too no much but, but, either, but it's but almost like the like future the, of that compete window. Right. It's the underscore on how much he meant to that team. Exactly. It was sort of this... It's now or never. Mm-hmm. And it was for Bergeron, too. A lot of it was this is going to be probably yeah, his last go-around. Um, and so that is another component that makes it a bit sad. But a lot of people have talked about it on Twitter. One thing that stood out to me so much about Bergeron that I wanted to talk about was having his entire locker room watch the Kyle Beach interview and discuss it mm-hmm. to make sure as a team that something like that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think opening those lines of communication in hockey is so important to being a better support system for one another and that just is the kind of guy he is and well, it, it's like they don't make him like that I'll, I'll take it a step further not just hockey but just like any type of anywhere where you have a team a group uh, an organization anything like that having leaders like that is rare uh unfortunately rare because you know you, you, those are the kind of people that you want at the helm taking charge of people and again not not 
not shying away using the Kyle Beach thing, not shying away, not scolding anybody, but taking that as an opportunity to educate everybody. And we aren't going to have this happen here, you know, stuff like this happen here and, and not be afraid of what people are going to think that he did that, what are teammates going to say, kind of being true to who he believes that he needs to be. Um, and, and yeah, Patrice Bergeron, like I said, if you go watch his YouTube highlights, it's not going to be the flashiest 10 minutes worth of, uh, of clips, but just an unbelievable career. And one of the things that I, I want to talk about just a little bit here is this really is the NHL is getting really close to turning a very specific page here um, with Patrice Bergeron and Craig Anderson early in the summer, both retiring. That leaves just three players left active in the NHL that played in the league prior to the 2004, 2005 lockout. Brent Burns, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Eric Stahl. So, I mean, we really are making getting close to this being a, it's an entirely new generation of players. Wow. Is that really what it's down to? Yep. Is those... Kopitar not a part of that? Nope. He didn't play in the wow. NHL before 05, before the lockout. Wow. That's so, a lot. So, I mean, it's, it's again, we, we talked, shit, man, I don't remember what it was, two, three weeks ago, about like the, 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 prospect of guys like you know when Crosby and Ovechkin retire in in a few years how that's going to be a crazy just like wow we watched their entire career unfold uh Bergeron's also in that in that same realm like you know again the the 2011 Stanley Cup he was still in the front half of his career uh you know young exciting Zdeno Chara was there as the captain and now we've watched him go through this entire career this uh, you know illustrious all the awards the selkies the points all that stuff and now he's done. And like, he, he's no longer a part of the Boston Bruins organization, at least in a player capacity. And it's just kind of hard to wrap your head around. I, I could tell when I r- told you that stat, I could, see, I could see happening in your eyes what happened in my head two days ago when someone pointed that out to me. I was like, holy smokes. I was also multitasking. I was trying to remember the name of the player that the Boston Bruins drafted, Mitch Miller it was, mm-hmm. um, that had the controversial, controversial history um, in like high school age. Oh, the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe Bergeron was another one of the players from uh, Boston who came forward and spoke on Yeah, I was going to say like, one of several. That, several. that was what was such a bad thing about that is it's like, yo, you don't even need your strong leader to do this. Everybody in this room is like, what the F are you doing? Yeah, and, led by him. And, I, and that's why I wanted it like, oh man, this is just who he is as a person and it has an influence on the whole mm-hmm. group because several people also felt similarly. But anyway, so that was a sidetrack. And I'm also processing how few players remain from the lockout era that you just mentioned. And so Do you it know it's even has crazier? been whittled down so much. What a high level Patrice Bergeron was able to play at last year. Yes. And like how impactful Brent Burns still is. Like I didn't re- like it didn't really occur to me sorry, Brent Burns, if on the 0.05% chance you're listening to this, I didn't realize how old Brent Burns was. How old is Brent Burns? Well, he's old enough to have played before the, the 2005 <laughs> lockout. That's, you know what? It is funny. He doesn't seem younger than Kopitar in my eyes, which maybe is mean towards Kopitar. I was, I was going to say. 38 years old. Yeah, I, I don't know. So it's just, it's, it is crazy. And, and, and again, you know, on the same day that uh, our good friend Craig Morgan is reporting that, well, hold on here. Maybe Logan Cooley yeah. is going to leave the University of Minnesota to come into the the, the NHL. Um, you know, obviously you got Connor Bedard, uh, the kid. I can't remember his name now off the top of my head. The Calgary kid who we ran into getting pizza uh, the night after round one signed his ELC today. Oh. Um, I, I just saw it too. It starts with an M. It doesn't matter. Um, 
but you know, again, just as you're seeing this entire new wave and we talk so much about how the league is changing and how you need to embrace younger players and the way that, that you know, contracts are negotiated is different and the, you know, trades and free. We talk about so much of that and it's just it's instances like Patrice Bergeron retiring that make you kind of pause and say, whoa, there's, there's a generation of players here that are hanging them up that played a huge role in getting the NHL back to where it is stronger than it ever was before that 05 lockout after it. I mean, it took a serious hit for a few years and it's players like Patrice Bergeron that helped get it to this point that we're now hoping the next young crop can continue to push forward. It's interesting because like you said, I think that he went out in a fashion that he would be happy with. He wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, hanging on by a thread. He still was playing good hockey and there were, it's funny too, because it's like, I don't even think this generation coming up necessarily grew up loving Patrice Bergeron. I think a lot of players that are currently in the league in that locker room grew up watching yeah, Patrice yeah, yeah. Bergeron, to put it into perspective. Like, I think the generation coming up are dropping names like Nathan McKinnon at mm-hmm. this point because of the age gap. And I think so many still admire Bergeron, though, for the qualities that he brought. Well, it's the Hanzik is his name. Thank you. The Calgary kid. Um, but where I was going with this is actually, I lost my train of thought that distracted No, I'm me. sorry. That was my fault. Was it, you're talking about the, the people players in the league were the ones who watched and emulated and, and idolized Patrice Bergeron. This next young crop, probably the gauge gap is too big. Yeah. There was a different thought I was going with oh, that. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, but you're right. I think there's a lot of big names currently in it, in the NHL who, modeled you know tried to attempted to model their game after Bergeron the way he conducted himself the way he was a total pro around the 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 rink uh things like that let's kind of wrap this up Uh, now that Patrice Bergeron has retired we have those three names that we just listed Marc-Andre Fleury Brent Burns and Eric Stahl who do you think will be the last of the pre-lockout era who do you think will be the last man standing Brent Burns Marc-Andre Fleury Eric Stahl it feels like flurry, but not in a starting capacity mm. just because mm. of the longevity of goalies. Okay. I feel like yeah. he can hang around and maybe bounce down to like a third string capacity, yeah. kind of how we're seeing Jonathan, Jonathan quick, quick, the yep. window that he's in. Um, so that's where I'm guessing. All right. but. I like that. Yeah. I, um, with all due respect to Eric Stahl, it's not him. It's one of the other two. <laughs> <laughs> I like that take. It's yeah. definitely not this I can tell guy. you who it's not. And that's Eric Stahl. He already like half retired once. Uh, DNBR Avalanche podcast Wednesday edition here. Jesse and Megan, we are brought to you guys by Pins and Aces. Got my Pins and Aces shirt on today. Uh, the official golf, para- golf apparel partner of All City and DNBR. We love our Pins and Aces gear. Uh, and I, I really do. I have this and then I have the other one that uh, I wore to that our kind of Avs Media oh, Summer yeah. Gathering. And everyone gets a lot of comments whenever they wear their pins and aces stuff. I think everybody at that event said something about the shirt. And I was like, I can't get any credit for it. It's like, it's all them. Uh, so they're family owned uh, golf and apparel business based right here in Colorado. They make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, and even our favorite beer sleeve an innovative product that allows you to store seven beers right inside your, right inside your golf bag uh, and keeps drinks cold the entire round. Head to pinsandaces.com, pinsandaces.com and use code DNBR to receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping again pinsandaces.com. Uh, also brought to you guys by one of our newer partners, Bet365. 
Uh, use uh, code DNVR365 when you sign up. Uh, they pioneered live sports betting, uh, live in-game betting, and today Bet365 offers the widest range of games and markets available for live in-game betting. They have over 80 million users worldwide, and Bet365 streams over 780,000 events each year, and they are a proud partner of the Colorado Rockies. Megan and I talked about it last week, one of my favorite things about you know, now that we've gotten the, the Bet365 app, we've been able to click around it a bit. Because they're so big in Europe for so long before they came over to the United States, they do have a lot of those kind of like niche Euro leagues for soccer, for hockey, for basketball, things like that. So there's literally things you can bet on 24-7, 365. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, turn $1 into $200 worth of bonus bets when you join Bet365. Download the app, deposit $10, and claim your $200 in bonus bets as soon as you place a bet for $1. Download the Bet365 app, and again, use the code DNVR365 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Colorado. Please gamble responsibly if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and, or, and wants help. Call or text one eight hundred Gambler, and you can also bet on the women's World Cup tonight. Oh, there you go. Yep, that's, what that's I'm betting a on. great women, call. Out. Women's World Cup tonight. I'm making a bunch of money on Colorado girlies that are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really am, dude. Like last last game we had a Colorado hat trick. Only Colorado players scored for the U.S. last time. Nice. So that's I'm amazing. Is Sounds that something about right. you can bet on too? I don't think you can like bet if Colorado it's only Colorado based, Okay, okay. But, but I just gamble on. If you're from Colorado, I'm all the you're way putting, in. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're betting as like an anytime goal scorer type thing? Exactly. Okay, yeah, like, yeah. Honestly, like if you bet on those two, you're betting on two of the maybe top three players in that team, which is already the best team in the world. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of guaranteed that you're going to make some money. There you go. Download the Bet365 app. Use that code DNVR365 and uh, take Yaya's uh, absolute guarantee if, uh, mm-hmm. if for, for the U.S. Women's World Cup tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Bet365, it's time for this week's Bet365 Top 5. Megan, I took the, uh, the list a couple weeks ago, so I turned it over to you for this. I don't even know what the list is. I'm I don't, so I, excited. I don't know what this is a list of. I don't know who's ranked in. I have no idea what any of this is, so I can't wait to get into it. I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. So, it's top players who've played for Colorado who played college hockey. Oh, all right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I was trying to... I was I was just wondering all night. I said, I wonder what she's going to... What is she going to do? Uh, I thought it was going to be something Eagles or whatever, but I like this one. This it's a, a college one. hockey one, and I'm excited because we can get into the conversation about honorable mentions here as yes. well, but the overall takeaway in this top five is that there are many players who've played for Colorado mm. who also had a college hockey background, um, some with a pretty good college hockey background spent four years in college before making the leap to the next level feel like it's really appropriate too given how many chances they've taken on some of these college free Mm -hmm. agent players in hopes that they're going to turn out to be something there's a pretty storied history now with the avs and college players so my number five is that how we're going to do it i'll just reveal it okay this is an interesting one just compared to who else is in this list for consideration but it is eric johnson that's a great one. And it's interesting because when you think about it, he's the longest tenured app. So it's I was like, going to wow, say, he, I, he I might belong higher. I cannot list. wait through four through one if you've got EJ at five. Uh, 
Yeah, no, that's a great one. University of Minnesota guy, one season there though. So that's where mm. in the scheme of things, I wasn't sure how I much like to put it. But so one of the recurring themes in this list is a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Eric Johnson is a Stanley Cup champion. Yep. And he grew up, in my opinion, as a player with totally, the Avs. I think totally. he really stepped into the Eric Johnson. Like he reached his peak through Colorado, had some of his most productive years here. And then obviously became such an important voice in the locker room. He's absolutely an important Av who played college hockey. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I, I, I like your point of he kind of grew up with the Avs. I've said it a, a million times now. I really do think the best hockey he played in Colorado was in the Stan- the 2022 Stanley Cup run. Uh, so I mean, h- how do you how do you cap off the the, the growth more than that? I, I like that pick a lot. And it's actually it's so funny. I forget all the time that he played college hockey because he only played there the one year. He was the first overall. I, I And, you know, you hear about when he was with the U.S. National Development Team program, all that stuff. You you forget that he, he, was, a go, he was a golden gopher. All right. My number four is Chris Drury, who people may or may not have known played at BU. He was actually their captain, a Hobie Baker winner, won a Calder in Colorado. Wait, played where? BU. I thought you said DU. Oh, I was no. like... I'm almost positive that's not Boston University. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. yeah. So he actually is one that had quite a route to mm-hmm. college hockey and being their captain, being a Hobie Baker winner. But then, of course, his impact in Colorado is obvious. He's a Calder winner. Totally. He, uh, let's see, four seasons um, with Abs, four seasons with BU, won a cup. Let's see, 16 points in 23 games is what I had written down for that cup run specifically. Yeah, he was outstanding. Came to be Mm -hmm. known as a clutch player in Colorado. Honestly, there was an argument to be made for him to possibly be a little bit higher in this list because of how clutch he Mm -hmm. was in Colorado in their postseason play, not only in the cup winning year, but in other playoff runs beyond that. Yeah, no, he he was. He was great. There's memories I have specifically of him. Uh, Game five of the 2001 Stanley cup final. He scores that third goal that kind of, you know, put that one away, uh, or excuse me, game six, not game five, kind of put that one away to help send the abs back to for, for game seven. Uh, no, I mean, he was, he was great for the abs. And I mean, that's, he's one of the players that's long considered to be one of the like top two worst trades the abs ever made was getting rid of Chris Drury. And, and, and I probably agree with that for a lot of reasons you just listed. All right. I'm excited for number three because it's a conditional number three Ooh. and it's Devon Taves out of Quinnipiac. I, and I love it. It's be- <laughs> here, here's why though. You're going to hear number two and you're like, interesting because Devon Taves is in this next season up for the number two spot. Okay. Just based on what he does this next season, because he is just one year behind who I have at number two in terms of his time here in Colorado. Um, so he was three years at Quinnipiac, and then he's entering his fourth season with the Avs. Obviously, he's a Stanley Cup champion, and I think Kale McCarr is elite in his own right, but I think so much of the success they have had has been because of them playing alongside mm-hmm. one another. And Devontae's not only has a chance at another Cup in Colorado this next season, he has a chance to emerge as an even bigger voice in their leadership group that I put him at three, but he could very, very easily be number two, two based on what happens this next season. I, I mean, like the the definition of, I mean, the truest definition of a late bloomer, Devon Taves, you know, playing three years for high impact players, I feel like that's un, uncommon. 
to have such a long college career and then be able to be a, a truly elite player at the NHL level. Usually that, you know, correlates with, well, they stayed in college for three, four years because they weren't, weren't quite ready. They can contribute. He is the exact I mean, opposite of that. Stayed for a long time and is a bona fide top 10 defenseman. In the That's NHL. what makes me excited about the direction players who play in college and go to the NHL is trending because oftentimes you see programs that have a high rate of players turning pro leaving the program after one to two years. Exactly, yeah. And so it's hard for programs to sustain success when their NHL caliber players are moving on to the NHL. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting to see players like Devon Taves carve out a very successful NHL career and they took their way through the college route. You know, they didn't take any shortcuts basically. Um, And I think that's going to be true of a lot of players that we're seeing come from college and make the transition to the NHL. Um, Another one that is kind of in a similar vein, but from perhaps a different era is my number two. And it's Rob Blake. He played at Bowling Green. What? Which people may not have known. (laughs) (laughs) And he, I want to say, three seasons at Bowling Green. Another one that had like a pretty healthy college career before an NHL career. And he is in a lot of ways similar to Chris Drury in terms of what he meant to that cup run specifically. Immediately a high impact player following the trade to Colorado. And I just thought he brought a lot to the table that Avs look for in their defensemen now, you know, merging the physicality of the game with also being a productive player, having a potent shot. And he spent four additional seasons after he won the cup here in Colorado Mm -hmm. as an alternate captain. And so that leadership component is Mm -hmm. what gave him the slight edge over Drury in this overall, but is also why Taves is right in line to take the number two spot instead of Rob Blake. Well, and I mean, having Rob Blake ahead of... Now knowing it's Rob Blake ahead of Devontae's, I think makes a ton of sense. I mean, he's one of the the league's all-time great defensemen. Uh, Like you said, was really one of the first players that I remember. I played defense from the time I was five years old. And he was someone that, obviously I didn't quite have the size that Rob Blake does. (laughs) But he was someone that I remember watching as a kid saying, this is someone who mixes the physicality, strong defensemen. But having offensive upside and having the shot and being a threat from the point, um, I think that's a great pick. I had no idea he was going to be on this list because I did not know he went to... I didn't know he played NCAA. I think that's a great pick at number two. I love it too because some of these... There are some players from programs that maybe don't carry the same weight of like Michigan. Mm -hmm. And Bowling Green is one of them. Exciting to see that player come from it. For example, did you know Ross Colton played college hockey? I did only because we've talked a okay. ton about okay. him this okay. summer, Fair. but but I, I didn't before. And that's where this becomes interesting too is Bileswood and Ross Colton, both mm-hmm. players who played college hockey. Can they have an impact on this Colorado team? A lot of other college players have before them. I think the number one spot though is I was gonna say, I so wonder who, I easy wonder who to it guess. Is. And it's Kale McCarr. It's for... <laughs> it's Taylor McCarr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's so obvious. I, it doesn't require very much explanation yeah. because of what he's going to mean to this franchise beyond what he's already done work at the Colorado Avalanche. Well, and I, I do think the other thing here that, you know, if you're talking about college, you know, players that played in college, I, I, I struggle to think of any current NHLer that had the effect on a college program, a junior program, anything, the way that Kale McCarr did for, uh, excuse me, UMass. I mean... I remember when the Avs drafted him, we were all concerned that he was going to UMass. It's like, 
You're going to trust this fourth overall pick who's already coming from kind of an unproven league. You're going to send him to this terrible program where they're just going to get their heads kicked in for a year before he comes to the NHL. And, I mean, him and uh, Greg Carvel, I mean, completely turned that program around to their national champions just three years later. Kale McCarr is not a part of that, but none of that happens if Kale McCarr doesn't go there. So what he meant to that organization, let alone what he means to this one, I said it to you last week, whenever Gabe Landeskog retires, 10 years from now, 10 months from now, five years, whatever it is, Kale McCarr will be the next captain of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, I, I think he will be the one to carry that torch forward. So, I, I mean, he's the, the, the no-brainer pick. Would you like to know something that I've taken away from your list here? What? We hear a lot about major junior and, and you know, the QMJHL. It's scoring. Uh, you know, these are young kids. They leave home early. You have some exceptional status kids, 15, 16, 17 years old. What so many people talk about college is you get to play against older bigger, stronger players. I still do think that, you know, pound for pound, I think the skill level is still probably higher in the CHL. Um, But you have four of your five are defensemen. And these are all players that you you can easily draw the line that benefited from playing against a heavier competition older, you know, grown men. There's some men that are playing the NCAA right now because of the COVID year, 23, 24 years old. It makes a difference for what is typically a slower development path for defensemen. I think you're starting to see a clear correlation here just using your small sample size of five, four of your top five most impactful players, which I I think that's a great list, um, are defensemen. And I think that that, I think you can draw a pretty easy parallel there. I think the point about physical maturity and the trajectory for defensemen to become more pro-ready and needing to physically mature is an important call-out because this is what we see with players generally taking kind of the longer route before they get to the Mm -hmm. pro league. Sometimes they don't have another option, but they're able to more physically mature before they're being dropped into the American League. And I think Mm -hmm. we see guys straight from major junior go into the American League kind of smaller sized and they get beat up a little bit by the physicality of the game coupled with the pace. Mm -hmm. And this is why defensemen from college, I worry about that transition in the immediate the most because it is such a stark contrast. Even Mm -hmm. Kale McCarr coming straight from college and being dropped into Avs games, the success that he had was so impressive to me. That's how I think... I don't know when it clicked for you that we had a star on our hands, but seeing how quickly he made that transition from NCAA to pro level is a, an impo- it's such a difficult transition to make because of what we're describing and the difference in pace, but also the size of players. Well, and and, and it it really speaks again to and and I will openly admit it. It's it's maybe my worst take of all time. I, I was very critical of Kale McCarr when he decided to go back for a second year. I was saying, why are you doing this? You're a top five pick. Come, you know, get into pro hockey. Start getting pro coaching. Start, you know, whatever, whatever. But he understood playing one year, I, I'm, I need to get on this level of physicality before I can even think about going to the next one. And he worked on his game and he refined it to the point where he dominated the NCAA in his sophomore season. Dominated. You know, stepped his physicality up, and I think that second season is a huge reason why. And and again, Kale McCarr is an anomaly of a human just in general, but that's why he was able to step right in so efficiently. Uh, I, I was I, I will never forget. I was in the building when he scored that first goal against Calgary. Happened right in front of me, uh, and and you know just 
it's that moment you're sitting there, you're like, holy smokes, th- this kid's this kid's a superstar. He can make this adjustment. He did what he felt was best for him by going to college. And then he did what was what he thought was best for him by staying in college. And how can you argue with any of the results? Absolutely. The call out about defenseman is interesting too, because one of my honorable mentions is John Michael Lyles from Michigan State, because he spent such a long time with the Avs through seven seasons and was one of the most consistently productive players. And that consistency, I think, is complemented by the routine and regimen that a college pathway really supports because they have to adopt a pretty strict routine in terms of not only what they bring to the table through athletics but also through academics and it's just a an interesting one for john michael Isles to be yet another defenseman kind of in this list mm-hmm. um another mention is paul stasny from du course, because yep. i couldn't just not throw that <laughs> I, in there. I, I couldn't believe you didn't have a single du guy on your list i couldn't when you see who ended up on it mm. um, oh no there's I mean, totally. so many reasons that's to me make just giving you shit a little bit <laughs> for stasny like eight seasons as an av and an alternate captain for six of those seasons like paul stasny had a big impact in colorado it's just tough because he was here during some of the Bad real lean years. years. And that's what separates a guy like Eric Johnson is, you know, especially now we learned from his radio hit a few weeks ago, he actually flexed his no trade clause twice to stay here and, and eventually be part of the, uh, you know, the Stanley cup championship team. Not that I'm not like dogging Paul Stasny for walking in free agency, but you know, it's, it's those types of things that, Hey, how can you argue? These are five players that won Stanley cups with the avalanche. Um, others, Logan O'Connor, JT Comfort, yep. hard not to make mention of because they are part of a 2022 cup winning team. But again, just, just going back to this, now my gears are just turning on this, you know, defenseman going the college route. I mean, like I, I can think of a lot of avalanche players in history forwards who ha- played college and had a good career, but like it feels like a lot of the, def- a, a lot, obviously there's been a lot of defensemen that have played for the abs, but a lot of like the real high impact ones went this route. And, and, and you know, Bowen Byram has obviously dealt with, you know, crazy injury issues and things like that. But you do wonder there's a kid that's making the jump from major junior to the NHL. Would he have benefited from now? I know he played CHL, so he wasn't eligible to play, you know, college, but is, is this going to start to be a trend? Hey, if you're a defenseman, play USHL, then go get a year or two of college. I think that is the route myself personally. I, I, I think it's good to have a mix of both. Um, nice. You know, a, a, a mix of both playing against the really high-end skill and talent of Major Junior, but then getting some of that physical maturity, that that bigger, heavier uh, hockey, the one thing that I do worry about with college players at times, and I think we saw this with Alex Newhook, uh, his rookie year, and I specifically remember talking to uh, Alex Kerfoot about it, they don't play a lot of games. Yes. And that is the one thing that I really do think is the jump, the hardest part of the jump for players going from college to NHL is you just run out of gas because you are not used to playing as much as they play at the NHL level, and you get close to that at the junior level. I think they play 60, 65 games. If you go on to the Memorial Cup, uh, you know, you're, you're pushing 75 plus. That is my, my one real drawback when I 
take a, a you know a large step back and look at your list and how they've impacted. The only thing that I would say I, I don't like about players going that route is how few games they play. But if that's it's, your only complaint. It's a hard part of the transition too. The players For admit sure. as much. Even players who have a high motor still find that schedule to be rigorous, especially jumping from their college season into the pro league. They like Sam Malinsky's debut into the American League was road game series game after game after game yep. traveling up the coast in California and that was probably a really rough transition from previously having games just on the weekends some of the time right and and just you know the, the practice schedules and, and and things like that uh like you said you have to mix it all with class it's just it is I feel like it could be if you haven't gone that uh you know USHL route or, or, you know, something like that to begin with, the null, whatever. I feel like that could be a little bit of a culture shock, um, you know, making that that leap, like you said, with the weekends. I love the stuff. news that gets announced. I, I know. We're going to get into it here in a second. I'm trying to get a little bit more details, um, but we'll talk about it here in just a second. Ben Myers has signed uh, his extension. Um, we are trying to get some details on AAV and things like that. Um Former college hockey player Ben Myers signs. Right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, while well, we wait to maybe hear back on that, uh, anything else on your top five? I think that's no, a great list, we, Megan. We've, we've beat the college hockey conversation to death. No, no, no. I mean, because it, it, again, I, I didn't, I wasn't even going to go down that road. I was going to finish up the list, be like, nice. But when I looked at the makeup of it, I thought it inadvertently made an, an interesting point that. Um, that's lower AAV than I was expecting. Jesus. I didn't even realize that was an AAV. I thought Avery accidentally like <laughs> dropped her hand on the on her keyboard. Um, perfect. All right. Well, there we go. Peter Baugh. Ah, Peter Baugh, sick at home. Otherwise, he would have been on the show to break the news. Uh, we tried to get Peter on this week. Uh, ben Myers, there it is. One year, 775. Uh, the Avs had extended him a qualifying offer. Uh, initially hadn't signed it we were kind of wondering what was going on uh what was going to end up being the 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 outcome of all this we, people were starting to wonder does he not want to be here da, 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 da. we knew that wasn't the case we knew it was going to get done uh i'm with you the 775 is lower than what i thought it was going to be given how long this all went on but before we get in there to, to all of that and we're going to answer some questions i want to remind you guys we are brought to you guys by bacchus and shanker uh they win for colorado families they've been doing it for over 25 years no upfront fee to speak about your case no fee while they work on your case you don't pay until they win for you uh bacchus and shanker has won over one billion dollars for their clients here in colorado they now have even more locations so they can serve all coloradans more efficiently. They have offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. They have the strength and power to win your case. More than 30 lawyers and 100 staff members. Uh, they help with all kinds of injury cases, Megan. If you weren't at fault, car accidents, motorcycles, ride shares, pedestrians, trucks, uh, even if you are injured at work and it wasn't your fault, Bacchus and Shanker has your back. Call 222-2222 to see if you have a case. Like I said, they don't charge you a thing until they win for you. Two, 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 two. Become one of the families that back in the Shankers won over $1 billion for here in Colorado. Also brought to you guys by our great friends down at Breckenridge Brewery. Farmhouse is open. If you can catch 
it not raining, Megan, I <laughs> highly recommend going down there. They have a great outdoor seating area. Obviously, all of the Breck brews are there on tap. You can try them all. They have a storefront there uh, at the very front where you can buy them all by the pack, uh, by the case, whatever you want. They've got the uh, Palisade Peach, Strawberry Sky. Uh, why am I blanking on the, the, the beach? Um, Mountain Beach, thank you, thank you. So the Mountain Beach, I had I had never tried it because it's a little bit darker than like what I normally okay. drink. I really liked it. I really oh, liked it. Got a nice cold can. I really liked it. Uh, Mountain Beach is another great one they've got going this summer. Again, it's it's still raining every day, but it's hot. Like it's really hot. Then yes. it rains, and then it's really hot again. So it's a perfect time of year to crack an ice cold Breck Brew. Use the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com to find a location near you that is selling all of your favorite brews now available in all 50 of the United States. Again, breckbrew.com. Use the Breck Beer Locator. Last but not least, we are brought to you guys by our great friends down the street at Illegal Pete's. Locations in Colorado and Arizona, including one just a couple blocks from the DNVR bar. The longest happy hour in town goes until 8 o'clock Monday through Friday. I talk about it every week, Megan. I just saw another one. And, uh, one of my uh, favorite restaurants that's real close to my house. Like, hey, join us for happy hour, six o'clock. It's like, cool. We'll sprint over right. there when it's we get home better, from work. But that's a, that's a tough that's happy a hour tough, to catch. That's a tough happy hour to catch. Uh, not at Illegal Pete's. Not the case. It's going until six. Their margaritas are great. Their burritos are great. Stop by there. Get a margarita, get a burrito before you come on down to the DNVR bar for the Women's World Cup game tonight. Then you can have more drinks, more food, all of that good stuff. Uh, and then head back to Illegal Pete's after because they're <laughs> open late. So uh, you can do it all over there, Illegal Pete's. Great friends uh, of, of DNVR, and uh, we're very lucky to have one right down the street. All right, Megan. Well, we have a few questions lined up, but let's let's get into uh, this Ben Myers uh I mean, there's not really a ton to get into. I think the biggest thing is what Avery is pointing out right here in the chat. Just a shade over $2 million left in space. That is a big deal given where the abs are at cap-wise. We talked yesterday, Yumi and Ruto, about do they add someone in this last spot? Do they Are they going to have the room to? Staying north of $2 million is going to give them an opportunity to pick up an impact-ish type guy. It feels that way. And interestingly, on the heels of Kovalenko being an option later in the season for Liav, seeing that there is a hole in their forward group to fill around that third line, and now knowing Ben Myers is coming back for what I believe is less than his qualifying offer, mm-hmm. is interesting. Because if it had been around what I thought his qualifying offer was, it was just above 800 something. And it makes the the smallest bit of difference, but now they're just above two mil mm-hmm. in available cap space. And I think that can make a difference in well, terms of the, t- the type of return totally. that kind of money could elicit. Well, and then you look at, you know, we, we talk so much about the margins, you know, with, with these contracts and stuff. And I think probably with the exception of Ross Colton and his, and his camp, everyone thought the Ross Colton deal was just a shade too high. Just a shade. He could grow into it and it could end up aging very, very nicely. <laughs> Is it Sebastian Ajo high or is it Ross Colton high? Because now I'm feeling like really differently proportionately on on the high of these two. Right, right. But now you look at Ben Myers where I really did, Megan. I thought he was going to come in nine, 950. Well, you shaved 200K off that. That helps offset a little bit of what feels like maybe, 
you know, right now in July, a teeny bit of an overpayment for Ross Colton. This is the type of stuff we talk so much about the abs make smart moves. This front office makes smart moves. This is another example of it. Uh, you're just saving just that little bit of money to keep them above 2 million and leave themselves some wiggle room here. You could have really handicapped yourself had this gone a little bit higher and suddenly you're under $2 million and there's just something about that demarcation line being able to stay north of that I think is a big win for them. Absolutely. It could bring about the Zach Aston Reese's of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and again, we talked about it yesterday. I do think the Patrick Canes, the Vlad Tarasenko's, those guys are probably... <laughs> probably not take it, look if the Habs get one of those guys for two million dollars give Chris McFarland GM of the year right now regardless because he like pulled some weird like dropped something in their drink and got them to <laughs> agree to <laughs> a deal way less than that uh, <laughs> well I was gonna say truth serum but I was like no that's the exact opposite of what they would have done uh but yeah no Point being, point being, those guys, you're, you're probably not talking them anymore, but you are right. There is that next tier player that this, this keeps you very competitive on that market if you want to still pursue those types of players and not wait till after the season starts to try to address it via trade or whatever. This leaves them pl- plenty of wiggle room. Definitely. Um, anything else on Ben Myers? I mean, I, I we made the mention yesterday. I, I personally don't think he's one of the guys that can talk about not getting opportunity. They gave him a lot of reps. I thought he grew. He was better at the end of the year. He needs to take another step this year, given the commitment the abs made to him in terms of come here because we think you can be an impact guy on this team. Well, and there's something about the one year of this contract that stands out to me as the ultimate, you have to prove yourself within this season to make a case for why that opportunity moving forward would be granted to you and why more money down the line would be granted to you. And it's Ben Myers taking, it's not even that he had an option, but he is, he's having to believe in himself in this year to demonstrate that this was the right destination for him, because I'm sure there are other teams still interested in him at the end of this contract. But if he wants to remain a member of the Colorado Avalanche, there's a lot riding on his own shoulders this year. He came here because they told him, we're going to give you opportunity. I feel like they have. I think they will this year as well. It's up to him to seize that opportunity a bit um, and 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 make the most of it. I don't necessarily look at this as him betting on himself because he didn't really have a ton of leverage. But I think the point you just made, I, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but like this is kind of your show me year. There's teams that are going to be interested in you. The abs are going to still be interested in you. Go out, have an impact, and you will get a much, much, much bigger raise next year. Definitely. Uh, let's get to just a couple of these uh, questions. Again, thank you guys so much. Whenever we put out the call for questions, you guys... Uh, they were good ones. Come through in droves. There were some good ones here. Um, can you can you even tell me... Uh, did get official confirmation it is 775 on Ben Myers. Can you read that, that handle? I don't want to like butcher this. uh question is any worries about manson after a rough year of injuries at smira smirabito mtg i don't know what that is um are you worried about josh manson at all a a little bit (laughs) if i'm being honest there's got to be concern because he's had the injury issues in the past right and because now there's context but because 
he thought he had made this turning point in his rehabilitation to return for the playoffs. Now, some of that is the incentive of returning to the playoffs, but it was presented as if he, there was belief that he was you know, in a good spot to return. Now, understanding that players like Kale McCarr weren't even at 100% and still playing, my hope is that this offseason will address what needs to be addressed. But the concern comes from how Manson described this injury and the rehabilitation process around that end of the year point when we learned he'd be coming back, not at the regular season, but right at the start of playoffs, basically. He had talked about the difficulties of the rehabilitation process being something related to the nature of the injury, just like kind of requiring some time. It wasn't like something had gone wrong in the rehabilitation. It just felt like it was something tricky about the nature of the injury. And because there is some amount of that that is just completely out of his hands, that makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah. I... I... I think he's such a good fit here. I think I think really what he does well, what the Avs have gotten out of him, I think it works really well. Um, you want to see him be able to have that bounce back year and stay healthy, and I think that's going to be a lot of it. A little bit of concern, I think, until he can show that he can stay healthy. Yeah. Is that fair? Right? No, it is, because he made a return only to exit the lineup again because things were not where they needed to be, and that was earlier in the season, and... So I think fear is not unfounded, mm -hmm. but thankfully there's been a lot more off season for him to recover 100%. and focus on that completely. Absolutely. Uh, from at Brooke underscore Elise with the amount of change in this season's lineup, how long do you expect for it to take for the team to be settled in? How far into the season would it take for you to be concerned if they aren't meeting expectations? Um, I think a lot of the changes kind of come around the fringe as we're last season. You had deep cuts to the core of this group, Andre Burakovsky, Nazem Kadri, and then what ended up being Gabe Landeskog. Uh, this year, I think you are going in with that core intact and you've just made fringe moves. So I don't expect for there to be as much of a transition period this year as maybe we saw last year. Are you thinking like 20 game mark being where you're really starting to f decide how you feel about the team later than that? Um, I mean, decide how I feel about the team is probably later than that. But to me, I think the way that this, the way that they put this group together, you should start to see them, you know, come to form pretty quickly. I personally think quicker than 20 games okay. because again, your, your, your changes are around the, the fringe and they're in your bottom six. And these are lines that you're putting together for a specific reason. Cause these lines will play, you know, these players should complement each other, et cetera, et cetera. You're, you're not having to replace, like I said, Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky, Gabe Landeskog. That I think was, you were asking players to take big steps and fill big roles. Uh, last year, as were this year, it's like, Hey, come be Darren Helm. And that's a little bit more palatable for a new guy coming in. That makes a lot of sense. I think because of the uncertainty I have for Jonathan Duran, I'm putting 20 games as my mile mm. marker because of his utilization. Like yep, he might call. assume a top six role immediately and just stay there. But mm -hmm. if for some reason that doesn't pan out, that's why I'm looking to the full 20 games there roughly yep. to see what they might do to pivot around that if Duran's not ready to assume a top six role immediately. Yeah. No, it's a good call. Um, at Cujo429, with Kovalenko signing, I think the Avs can be patient in looking for a fill-in piece in the meantime. 
Uh, in the meantime, in history has shown that early in the season, they are willing to do call-ups. Is a third line of Wood, Colton, Foodie an option? At least get a look at it in training camp. That that seems a little too rich for my blood to come out of the gate with JL Foodie on your third line unless he's taking a significant step this summer. It reminds me of what they did with Sampo Ranta in giving him, what was it, 10 games through the start of the season? Yep. Or was it more than I th- that? I think it was nine. Nine games. Yep. Okay. Technically. And Or maybe it was 10. I think Doesn't it matter. Was, it was nine. If, it, if they give it the Samparanta treatment, I'm okay. Well, as long as it's not coming at the expense of another opportunity. And now that we know they have the two mil burning a hole in their pocket, Foodie mm-hmm. makes a little less sense. But yeah. they're absolutely going to give it a look in training camp, preseason games, which is where I think we'll really get an example of that had their had their cap number come in after the ben Myersing around like one yes. 1.7 then i would have been like i don't know about third line but i think there's a chance you see him there again with two million dollars to play to your point now there's less so, reason to do it right exactly that's a great great way of putting it they gave ranta in last year's six games and then, then the, the year before they gave him 10 it was 10, 10. all right good call right yeah. off the bat yeah kind of fun kind of scary it was fun until he was bad those last like three games and it was like okay all right that's where i'm like do it for foodie but i also don't want him to meet the same fate as sam baranta because he had he had a real nice start to the season last year and then when when foodie first got called up he just kind of disappeared a little bit there i i would be excited again i mentioned it just the other day chris mcfarland called out jean luc foodie as someone that they are eyeing to take a significant step this year so i mean like if you're telling me it has to be an eagle on that third line i think he's in the consideration i just i think the way you just put it it makes a lot less sense now that they have two million dollars they can spend um we'll do a couple more here um and I want to I want to do this one because I I honestly just kind of disagree. Uh, from a good follower, good uh, friend of the 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 pod, the the team here, everything. Uh, East Coast Abs champ. He's always been in on our stuff going back to the BSN days. Uh, what are some realistic expectations for Kale coming into the season? How do you think he bounces back from a tough injury season uh, to get back to being the McDavid of the blue line? I thought even with the injuries, he was. I think the only reason he didn't win the Norris Trophy was because he didn't play enough games. I think I understand the question too. It's mm-hmm. like the expectation is the same as it was before last season. Even in spite of what happened last season mm-hmm. with injury, it is still exactly there with the option for him to exceed expectation as he seems to do year by year in my eyes. To still be a Norris finalist at the end of an injury-riddled season yep is not just a reflection of who he is, but also how the league views him. Yeah, and absolutely. And they take him seriously. They view him as that same threat, even though he misses some games. I still feel that way about Cam McCarr too. And I'm excited to be surprised by him year by year because mm-hmm. he always does seem to get better in ways that I didn't imagine. And the leadership component yes. is where there's heightened expectation mm-hmm. for him to assume an even bigger role He's completely ready for it. He has such a good head on his shoulders. And his the way he approaches the game, like post-game, I think is so helpful, not only to himself, but his, to, to his teammates. That's the kind of voice that I, I want to be in the room. He's always willing to, to, to stand in and answer questions and you know, take accountability and, 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 and uh, you know, all of that. But 
it was interesting last year because not only did he have the injuries, but I really do think his usage really wore him down at a certain time. He was having to change his game to be able to play as many minutes as he was. And then there was the, the, I mean, Jared Bednar went to seven and 11 for one game and Kale McCarr just took off. He is still that. I mean, he's, He's that tier defenseman. He's That's alone by himself at the top. A great point, actually, about load management. If Kale McCarr can have a little bit more room to just be Kale McCarr and not the guy who is out there on every situation and playing extreme minutes every night. Mm-hmm. I mean, he led the team. He led the, the league. Team, the league yep. in time on ice all season. It mm-hmm. was tough it took a physical toll on his body in ways that we saw so i'm hoping too that that's a little more balanced going into this year yeah no i and and you you hope and you think it should be some injuries should hopefully you know some injury luck will hopefully Josh Manson that will actually exactly have exactly. a big impact on that uh last one here oh uh last one uh from at speed limit 93 who's the funniest hockey player you've interviewed um Honestly, my, my funniest might be Pablo Francois. Aw, I love that. <laughs> he's the most delightful. Right, right, right. Well, he's just always like, uh, I remember during the uh, Western Conference final, he had the shutout and then he had a game the Avs won, I believe six to five. And in between the Western Conference final and the Stanley Cup final, uh, uh, our buddy uh, DMAC asked him, and <laughs> I understood what DMAC was trying to ask him, talking about like fundamentally, you know, how do you prepare? But he asked him, you know, Pavel, what's the difference for a goalie in a game where you have a shutout versus one that you give up five goals? What's what's the difference for you? And Pavel Francis says, and he goes, five goals. And I just, he was just like that. He wholeheartedly just meant it. And I thought it was so damn funny. And he's got that sense of humor where it's like, he doesn't like, he's not standing up in his stall, like cracking jokes, but she's like, I'll, I'll tell you whatever I think. And sometimes it's pretty damn funny. I love that. I had a few people that came to mind. Nice. And I think you can endorse this one because I think you actually witnessed this. Um, but one is Devon Taves, but not to interview. It is because he is mischievous yeah. and meddles in interviews. You were there, I think, for the time he was using his sandal as a yeah. microphone. Yep. But one time I was interviewing Josh Manson, and he was fully throwing elbows and giving Manson a hard time throughout the entirety of the interview. And so Taves is a bit of a menace, and he's mischievous in a very funny way um, that I think was worth calling out. So there's two players that come to my mind. So AJ had adds Nick Holden on here. I never got to talk to Nick Holden. Uh, he he left before I officially got in the room. But AJ puts that in all caps. That seemed like a pretty immediate, uh, you know, add in. But here's one thing I'll say about two players. You just mentioned Devon Taves and how he's he messed with everyone else. You know who else did that? JT Comfer. JT Comfer was. I mean, that was his whole thing. If you were within five stalls in either direction and you were getting an interview, JT Confer gets in on it. Both those guys are rough interviews, though, themselves. Devon Taves, I, I get it. You can just tell there's a lot of days where he seems like he's like, I, I don't want to answer these dumb questions. Uh, JT Confer was always someone that frustrated the hell out of me because you'd interview Tyson Jost 
And the whole time JT Confer's cracking jokes, throwing things at him. Uh, he would like take his stick and like try to knock his hat off while we were talking. You go, oh, <laughs> so JT, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. We played really well. It was fun. It was, a, and it's like, what? What the hell just happened? Well, you were, you were, you were chuckles over here for the last five minutes. I turned my microphone towards you, and you got nothing to say. So it is funny that both those guys. I'm with you. They'd like to mess with everyone else, but when you go to interview them, they're like all business. Bo can be funny. Bo can be funny. Bo is yeah. another one that can be mischievous too. Yep. Um, and then the other is John Luke Foodie, but you wouldn't know it because of your interviews with him. But he. That was, I've never felt more lied to by you than when John Luke Foodie got called up to the NHL. You were like, oh my gosh, so funny, such a great interview. It's not even intentionally funny. I, He's I, bullying I, you. I don't even. I'm, 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 I'm really excited. I was like, okay, never mind. Never mind. And I, I feel like he would hate to know that I'm talking about how funny I found this to be. But there was one interview last year where I asked him a couple questions. And the first one, he said, that's a violation. I won't answer that. Ah. And the second, and I'm looking at Kevin McGlue, like, what was wrong with this question? And he's like, it's too personal. And he was like, do you, what have, was any the do you have any goals oh. for the upcoming season? Oh, 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 oh. oh and then like, I asked well, something damn. else in the same vein, different question. He said, that's a violation. And he wouldn't answer any of my questions. So I answered or asked like maybe two more and I ended the interview and he walks away and he goes, that's going to be a sick article yeah. because I could barely ask him anything. And then Kevin McGlue says, she just talked to Cronin for 30 minutes and he goes, yeah. and he leaves and he's hilarious like that. The last game of the year for Eagles for me, he yelled out as he was leaving, tweeted out angly because he knows that I usually tweet about things that they're doing. And so there's absolutely this funny side of him I've never seen it. Wouldn't know otherwise <laughs> because he becomes very. I like confronted Megan in the locker room. I was like, "You set me up." I was like, "You said you said he was a great interview on purpose, so well, I'd go over there and a, talk to he's him." He's a bad interview. Okay, all right. Because he doesn't want to answer any of your questions. Ugh, and like I said, I couldn't. I couldn't hear him. No, he's he, like, you know, who's Georgiev? He's another one that I mean, I you got to put your microphone in his mouth I feel to like hear we him. Speak the same language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very... I just see a lot of myself in Georgiev, mm -hmm. really soft-spoken, patient. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, th those two are definitely the. I've seen people just walk away from Georgiev scrums. They're like, I'm not close enough. Megan's just like he's the greatest person on this world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I he. I mean, so he, he's he's a he's a great guy, and like he's he's always got something interesting to say. If you can hear him. You're right. He is very soft-spoken. You have to be lucky in your positioning in the scrum just he, He's one of those guys that his helmet popped off in a game last year, and it was even weird to see him like on the ice because we've gotten to know him as the very soft-spoken. You know, the goalies sit at, an, at one end, especially on game days. They don't talk. People don't talk to them. They're very to themselves. So it was like almost weird to see him in, like, in that competitor environment because I'm like, I can't imagine you raising your voice above like four decibels. Remember when he wanted to fight Bennington? I do remember that. That is so out of character. See, and, and again, it was stuff like that where like when you get to know these guys a little bit, you talk to them and it's like, what? And and uh, who was it? Franco's last year, it was a player, was like telling him like, come on, come on. And I was like, Pavel Franco's. oh my gosh. No way. That's how much Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you yeah. brought out the worst of, of, of Alexander Yuryev, that's how you the know best. you. Right. Uh, cool. I think that's about it. Got some breaking news during the show. Talked about Bergeron. It was a good Wednesday, Megan. I thought it was really good. 
think it's raining anymore. It was raining when I walked in, but it is what it is. Uh, you, Rudo, AJ tomorrow, and then we've got a Rudo and AJ show on Friday. Um, so it's just, it's, it's all good vibes right now, Megan. It's just all good vibes as we, uh, we head into August next week. Wow. The true heart of the off season, just brutal. Nothing to talk about. Uh, we'll be, we'll be reaching deep into our bag of tricks for, uh, for content for, for April, for August. Snake Excuse me. Draft, but they keep giving us little, little kernels, right? right? Kovalenko. In, spaced out enough that we've yes. like gotten some runway no, out exactly. of this too like, yeah okay, this is actually going really well it's it's rudo and i were we're talking about that yesterday right before you got there we're like the fact honestly the fact that i don't know what what aj and rudo have planned for free skate friday those shows can always you know we can always get those a little off the rails but like there is we have a chance here megan to make it to august without having to do like bullshit i want to push it to that too. right like i want to see how far we can take this it's it's been impressive i've been proud of our team here uh for megan angley we got y'all here on the board today making sure you guys can see us and hear us i'm jesse montano thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you guys soon <laughs>